developing your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. It's time for your weekly dose of Wayne's Comics. Welcome to episode 322 of the Wayne's Comics Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. This week, I get to talk with a creator that I met out at Emerald City Comic Con very recently, Andrew Kafori. He's the driving force, or at least one of the driving forces, behind Nomad, a series of interesting books that's kind of a mixture of mythology, fantasy, and even a little sci-fi thrown in for good measure. His first trade is out, and it's called Nomad, The City of Empty Towers. And we talk about that in depth. And then we get to the second series that he's coming out with. And the first one is available. And I got that at ECCC. And it's called Nomad, the Cave of Broken Tombs. We get into that as well, including the future of Nomad and what kind of wonderful things we can expect from him and his terrific team of creators working with him that makes this book really shine for me. We talk about how he got into comics and his background and how that influences his writing and his creations. So I'm sure you're going to enjoy what he has to say. There's a lot to get to in this episode. So let's get on with the show.
It's great to welcome to the podcast Andrew Kafori, the creator, writer anyway, and I'm sure had a lot more to do behind the scenes of a really interesting franchise, I guess you could call it, called Nomad. How are you doing today, Drew? I'm good, thanks. It's good to talk with you. I got to meet you at Emerald City Comic Con very recently, which I was really glad to do. As I was, I told you before we started to record, I go to conventions now looking for comics like yours so that I can uh, find new creators that I can talk to about materials that I think people should know about. And I think Nomad is one of those kinds of things that I really enjoyed. I like something different. I like variety. And I thought that Nomad was just that kind of thing that I'm looking for. So I wanted to tell you that I really enjoyed it. Well, thanks for saying so. We, we tried to make it singular. We knew we, we knew we weren't going to be the best because there's just too much good stuff out there. So we wanted to make something that um, you, no one had ever seen before. Well, you should tell your story. That's the thing I always tell people. Don't try to do what other people are doing or try to measure yourself by what other people are doing. Tell your thing. And why don't you, in fact, why don't we just start off by having you describe what is Nomad about? Wow. Um, <laughs> Nomad is... <laughs> Nomad is kind of a world where uh, spirituality and mythology and um, technology um, all collide in, um, you know, sort of an epic battle uh, for the, you know, the souls of all the people involved and, and, and the fate of the galaxy. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, um, it's about a hero who goes in quest of these intruders that threaten his world. And our hero is a uh, he's a uh, he's a chief of a a, a tribal uh, people on a planet um, that is um, similar to Earth, but very different. Um, And they've never seen technology before like this. And um, he's he's sent to smite these intruders and his journey uh, takes him across the uh, the storms at sea where he has to come to a seemingly empty city and unravel uh, the mystery of what's there. Mm -hmm. And what's there are, um, you know, intruders from another planet who have come to uh, uh, enslave uh, a a ruling race and um, harvest their orbs of power to use as fuel for their ships. Mm -hmm. And our hero has to um, go through a series of challenges to, to combat these intruders and, um, he has to we, he he has to earn a divine amulet of a goddess mm-hmm. in order to defy them, mm-hmm. and um, the goddess is deeply rooted in his people's spirituality, mm-hmm. and so he he has to really um, you know, learn learn about himself in order to become the person he needs to be to. Um, take 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 what is wrong and set the world right. Mm-hmm. Now I want to start off by talking about the fact that it, Nomad is not spelled the way that like, like Captain America, for example, when he wasn't uh, Captain America, he picked picked up the identity of Nomad. That's just N O M A D. But what you have it, it's N O apostrophe M A D D, which adds a little bit of a mythological feel to it. Was that the idea when you when you came up with the name that way? Was to give it this because you've talked about the combination of like mythology and all kinds of like sci-fi even and kind of fantasy stuff. Was that the the, the way you thing you wanted to accomplish by having the name this way? Yeah, I think it's it's capital N O apostrophe and then lowercase M A D D. So it's it's nomad and I, what the nomad the story is taken from his point of view. At least the first book is. 
And um, nomads people are they're kind of gentle warriors. And so they have kind of a way of um, expressing or communicating that's sort of very soft, but at the same time powerful. And so I, I wanted the spelling of his name to be something that was um, distinct, uh, heroic, and also and, and and had that soft, powerful element to it. I don't know if I succeeded, but I was trying. Mm-hmm. And um, and then obviously, you know, Nomad is the the hero who you know is alone. Um, it doesn't quite fit into the world he's from or the world he goes into anymore. And so there was that aspect of it too. So it, it was taking that familiar story and, and putting a spin on it to make it unique for us. Mm-hmm. Now, where did the concept come from? I mean, you know, you, you're working with other, other folks, uh, some names I'm probably going to butcher, but Todd Herman is the, providing the art, particularly on yeah. the first one. And then Lee yeah. Moyer and I'm oh, Tom, uh, or is it? Kowski, maybe. Tom Wozikowski, yeah. He, he led the, uh, the Uncanny X-Men the, and the New Mutants, and he does Spawn. And he's, um, he's an industry legend. I, it's, I, I say getting to work with Tom is like getting to jam with Metallica when you've got a little garage band. That's what it feels like. It's like, it's like we're, we're rocking out in our garage, and all of a sudden, you know, the bass player from Metallica shows up and is like, hey, you guys want me to add to your jams? That, that's just what it feels like. He's... I, I grew up reading all of the books he lettered, and um, by the way, we just you know, the significance of good lettering mm. cannot be understated. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, I, I I just don't think that the letterers get enough credit mm-hmm. in this industry for what they've done to make these stories readable. Well, I have to say, because I, I help with a comic too, and one of the things, it's not a real comic until the lettering is done. That's right. You've got to be able to – it's got to look like a comic at some point. And when you start getting the lettering in there and it comes back like that, you just kind of look at it and then you start to read it like a comic. So, yeah, I agree with you. I think that letterers, they don't get nearly the credit that should. But... You should all go to Comic-Cons and be like, who lettered these comics? Where's the second for the letterers? Let's, like, let's take the movie stars and like put them in a, in a smaller area than we have the letterers and give the letterers like more – now, I understand that for the illusion of everything, it won't work that way, but it should. Mm-hmm. It should because that, that really is their significance to the medium. It's just amazing to me because in your book, for example, you have – at the beginning of chapters, you have like a little uh, – I don't know what you want to call it, like a, a poem oh, almost. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I think you were actually – yeah, you, you asked me just to go back. You said like, so what was the inspiration for the mm-hmm. story? And so um, a little bit about me, I was um, – I was a, a child actor as a kid, mm. and I worked in hundreds of um, plays for, for children, literally hundreds of them, um, in Portland, Oregon. Um, at a, and then I, I, had, um, I had a handwriting disability where I, I'm very dyslexic, and um, you don't ever want to see my handwriting. So I, 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 but I liked stories, and I liked telling stories. And so what I did was um, we had an old word processor machine. And I taught myself how to, to speed type on that. So when I was about 12, I could type 90 words a minute. Wow. And um, so I had a background in, 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 in theater. And um, I had, you know, overcome, you know, some, some difficulties by, by, by learning how to give myself the ability to write, at least, you know, write. Mm-hmm. And then um, I wanted to go into, um, you know, being a playwright. And I got to New York City in 2004 and um, there were not a lot of opportunities at that time. 
And um, so, I, but I, so my idea was that I was going to write stage plays that were, um, you know, science fiction, fantasy oriented or superhero oriented and things like that. And I wrote one about a, a character who was alone in the desert and he had to survive the long hot days, the, the long cold nights, and there was lack of food and water and there were creatures that were out to get him. And there was a um, hooded enemy that was veiled in secrecy who lurked in the nearby cliffs that was tormenting our, our hero. And I was submitting scripts um, around in about 2010, 2011. So I think this, that script was back in 2004. And so I, I, around 2010, 2011, I was submitting stuff and people said, well, of all the things you sent us, this was the one that stood out. So I, I wanted to get that illustrated. So I, I worked with an illustrator to try to illustrate that sequence. And from there, we started, you know, building a world around this character. And um, the world is rooted in my experiences, like living in New York City and my experiences, um, y you know, in life. And there was um, just a ton of uh, help that all the illustrators who worked on the project um, and anyone who's ever, you know, come in to be a part of the team ha has brought to it. Well, I have to say you've developed the world. You know, they always talk about world building and stuff like that. Uh, I like the fact that there are maps along the ways. And uh, like I was talking poems. about, go ahead. Yeah, and poems, right. Yeah. And the poems. Talk a little bit about the poems because you don't often read that. You know, most comics tend to be word balloons. You know, mm -hmm. with you, you're taking much more of a literary look at it, which yeah. I kind of enjoy. Yeah, I, I wanted it to have that classical literary feel to it. Um, and I think that for me, I was just thinking about, um, you know, the, the classic hero's journey as an epic poem. And we needed to have um, information given to the reader in a timely manner. And there was a lot of backstory. And the best way to put that backstory in there to give that information to the reader was to do a little forward before each chapter. And the forward was the hero's thoughts. And that's where that came from. I'm interested, but how did you make the jump from uh, like uh, writing scripts for the visual medium to going into comics? I mean, were you a comics fan before? Oh wow, my gosh, yes. I mean, I, I you know I grew up in the '80s. I, I went home from school and uh, watched cartoons. I watched cartoons on Saturday morning, and I went to the comic book store, and I got the X-Men and Batman and Ninja Turtles and all good things and Superman. And so, yeah, absolutely. I, I am a child of, of the eighties, literally born in 1980. So all of that marvelous stuff that was given to me, um, it, you know, is there. So, yes, absolutely. Oh, that's cool. Cause it, you get that sense that, that there's something deep going on. That there's this, it, it's more than just a superhero book, you know, and as much as I love the long John's books and I buy a lot of them, I like the sense that this is, you talked about mythological and all those kinds of things. I enjoy that. And one of the things that brings that out to me is the artwork. Because mm -hmm. you, you're not doing the standard four-color artwork. You're doing a, a, what they call a duotone, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that, that's Lee Moyer. Yeah, uh, to Todd, Todd Herman did the pencils and the inks. And um, originally when we published that book, it was just done in the Copic marker and it, it came out all gray. Mm. And Lee Moyer came in and he painted it. Hmm. He painted it all this, this, um, it, it's blue. Like the, the, the whole world is shadowy and blue. And I, I can't, I guess you'd have to see it to describe it, but just to, to understand that, I guess you just have to understand Lee Moyer. Lee, Lee is, um, Lee's just brilliant. 
he he was one of the first uh, artists to ever draw Game of Thrones for George R. R. Martin in the '90s. I think he's um, you know he he's one of the first artists to ever draw the White Walkers, if not the first artist to ever draw the White Walkers. Mm. Um, he, he he's he's uh, done book covers for um, Clive Barker. Uh, he's done work with Neil Gaiman. Um, he's just unbelievable, and he's worked for um, my mother, who runs a, a small com- uh, runs a, a children's theater company in Portland, Oregon. Uh, he's worked for her for twenty years, and so he agreed to come in and help us. And he became the seasoned veteran who literally made everything work. Mm. And 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 he 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 read the story. He understood the spirit of the story, and he made it a reality. Or as close, close to a reality as we could get. Yeah, because the, the blues are different. You know, I, I, blue is my favorite color, I have to say. So the, right away I was like, ooh, blue, I like that. <laughs> but then I also got into the, the, the various shades of the blue are used, you know, very well to indicate different things are going on, which I liked real well. And, and I also have to say there are splash pages, especially as we get towards the end of the very first story. There are these wonderful splash pages just blew me out of the water i just had to sit there and you know from from corner to corner make sure i got to look at it all because it was just fantastic well he he well one of the things lee moyer does and everyone i know who's worked with him will say this his first thing he does is he sits you down and he tells you everything you did wrong <laughs> and then and then he tells you what he's going to do to make it right and then he makes it right and that that's just and a lot of people have that story and one of the things he said to us was he said your goddess is the most important character in the story, and um, she is the, she is your bread and butter. And though she's not in, uh, she's not seen a lot. Her presence looms over everything because nomads people have um, a sacred relationship with with the the divinity. You know, like with, with with the moon in the sky, they see the moon in the sky as that which lights the world when the world is dark, and it's it's beautiful to them, and they believe that. Um, to earn the love of the divine is the greatest honor that is possible. But I should be clear, the love does not mean, um, you know, um, intimate love. It's, 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 it's the love of the family. It's the love of your neighbor. It's the love of your children. It's, 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 you know, and, and there is a little bit of that too. There's a little bit of the the intimate love as well. It's, it's a, it's such a combination of what it means to love. And um, Nomad is in quest of her love, like all people in his tribe are. And what he doesn't know, and as the the story evolves, is he does have a relationship with the divine. And so Lee took that idea and he spun it to make her presence felt throughout the entire story. And he does that with the shades. So if the moon is in the sky, who is the moon shining light on, you know? Mm that reveal about their knowledge of the adventure at hand and stuff like that. There's, there's a big reveal about something that's going on, and I would never spoil it. But yeah. it's just this wonderful thing. When I got to it, I went, oh, my gosh. I said, that is what's going on here. I guess I, it, it explains so much, you know, because I, I was enjoying the story. But I love it when something comes along and it's it, it reveals to us kind of the undergirding of what's going on in the story and that's what happens in this book you've got a real big surprise a big shock for us mm-hmm. as you go along i love to be surprised i have to be honest with you i have i've and been about, re- about the third chapter yeah oh cool i'm glad i'm glad i'm glad that surprised you that's cool 
I, I have been reading comics for decades, and it takes something to surprise me these days. And so when I got to that, I just I went gasp, and I said, oh my gosh, I, 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 that makes the book stop being a good book and turns it into a great book when you can do oh, that kind of stuff. Cool. You know, I'm, I'm glad you said that because um, books, you know, I, don't, I guess what, what you're referring to is his relationship with the goddess. And mm-hmm. I mean, without, without spoiling it, um, you know, the only reason why in dramatic structure, if people don't love each other, then the story is not as good is just my opinion. If that makes sense, you know, people who love one another, who love one another struggling to get along, um, or, or, or people who, who don't get along because of where love has led them in life or failed to lead them is, is to me the thread that holds good stories together. Mm-hmm. And love is about relationships, you know, and the evolution of relationships. And I just think that we all at a very primal level, we long to love and be loved mm-hmm. and feel that we're loved is um, what makes it worth getting up every day. And to not feel loved makes it very difficult to get up in the morning. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, 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 so using that to give readers the elation of the human condition mm-hmm. was my, my plan. Yeah, which was great. I mean, I, I really – when I got to that place, I was – now, now, I do want to talk a little bit about the supporting characters. Oh, cool. The gnats, for example, these insect – the anthropomorphic uh, insects. Yeah, the, like which were very creative. I mean, I just was whoa because I, mean, I I have this thing about the insects. Insects bother me. So when I saw that, you know, when you see I see something that is like humanistic, and yet still an insect, it it, it kind of put me off. Well, you know, you know what's cool about that is that when we originally drew those characters, um, there was uh, they they were just they were just uh, insect monstrosities, and when we went back to revive the the plot and the story with what we'd learned um one of the things that uh, we had learned was how cool props are and how a very simple prop can um really give a character a new level so we decided we were going to give them pickaxes Mm. you know and it's like okay so what's going on with this these creatures do you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. they are insect monstrosities yet they have tools Mm-hmm. So what's going on in their hive down there? Who are these creatures and what, what do they know or not know? And so I think that what you're re- reacting to is, is giving them uh, a tool. Mm-hmm. You know, I, th- I think that's what gave them that dimension that made them interesting. Yeah, which is really good. I really like the, the way they did it. We don't hear, I, I didn't notice that they ever spoke. Or they, or they just – I didn't see that they made a lot of noise either or they didn't make clicking noises and things like that. But more right. than that, I didn't see them – they didn't act too human because oh, it just drives me crazy when I read a, a book and the, and the insects are talking like people. It just drives <laughs> me nuts. I, I just want to want to rip the book right up when I get to that because there's no way in this world they can possibly do that. So when your insects act like insects most of the time, although they do stand up like, like men – it's. I really like the the way that they were handled. I thought that was really terrific. Yeah, they they represent the danger of the unknown. You know what I mean? It's like it's like when 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 heroes cross the. I mean, just to you know, when heroes cross from the known into the unknown, they you know go beyond the threshold and they you know they enter the belly of of the beast, if you will. And I mean, so when Nomad goes to the Warlord Palace, that is, although the story is told slightly out of order, but that's kind of the belly of the beast. He's now entering 
a, a domain that, you know, the challenges are going to get much harder than what he's used to. And so he encounters these bugs and the bugs, you know, the desert is their realm. And um, there's a lot we don't know about them because there's a lot he doesn't know about them. And they, they just they just represent the danger of, of, of the unknown world. Mm-hmm. And you know, the, the paradox is it's like if you don't jump into the unknown, you'll never be a full human being. But if you do jump into the unknown, you can be destroyed. And so you have to <laughs> – that, that, there you go. Like that's the challenge of life, right there. Mm-hmm. Now, there's, you, you bring up something that I wanted to talk about too. Is that Nomad makes a, a change in his appearance at one point. Oh boy! Which I don't. I don't want to spoil, but let's just say he doesn't look exactly the same as when he starts. And I just was. That was to me. There was a change in the character that I think that 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 making that change in his appearance made him. You know, it it made it more realistic to me, and made it it stand. It stood out because he's able to change his appearance to indicate something's going on, which I like. But see, vi- remember, comics are a visual medium. You know, the the fact that you're able to do that kind of a thing, and you know, kind of communicate things, not necessarily in words, but there are words that talk about it, but also in visuals. I really like that because I thought. It made the character move forward when you did that. Yeah, um, he shed, You know, he starts off looking one way, and he 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 learns new information, and he sheds layers, and he 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 you know get, gets into attack mode. And I think that's what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. He, he kind of changes his 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 outfit a little bit, and he he shaves his head. Right, that's yeah. he shaves his head in his face. Right, yeah. and he. He is preparing to go on, you know, to, to, to face his enemy, and he's he doesn't think he's ever coming back home, and he has to purge the uh, the horrible experience he just had with with the gnats and everything that takes place and in, in that sequence, and um, so he he purges the the old to, to make way for the new, and part of the new is that he doesn't think he's ever coming home. He wants to, but he doesn't think that he is, mm-hmm. and so he's he's headed off to what he thinks is his final battle, mm-hmm. and then we. You know, we we change his appearance again, um, and I will tell you one thing: if you liked that, you might be the only person who liked that. Because <laughs> we've had a lot of people be like, "I don't understand. Why does he look different?" And uh, I I don't recommend people doing that unless they have someone like Lee Moyer to really help you mm. make transition work, because that's that's a complicated transition. Well, it's progress. You know, when I I saw that happen to him. Not only was he mentally and, and, and verbally making changes, but he was also visually changing himself, which I thought was a, a strong indicator that the character was moving from one place to another, which mm-hmm. I like that kind of thing. I think that that really works for me. And, and uh, so for me, when I saw that, I said, oh, cool. I said, he's really making a transition from one place to another. And, you know, it's something we can follow. So I really like that. I'm, I'm, I thank you for that. That's uh, like I said, I, 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 I felt the same way you did. And so I'm glad that I was able to reach one person with that. <laughs> I'm sure it wasn't more than me. I'm, I'm sure there's other folks out there that really felt that way too about it. But I wanted to also talk about the animals that mm-hmm. appear along the way. There is a time when he's in danger and he's rescued by what he calls gentle steeds. Swaths. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, everybody in a fantasy adventure has a dangerous sea creature. And so I said, well, why don't we have a sea creature that's helpful, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, that that was pretty much it was that simple. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think that he, he he's in danger at sea and he's rescued by a bunch of whales who are children. 
and they they very innocently lift him up and they play with him and i think he's um sort of you know he misses his son right right you know, and so he's rescued by these these whales that that are that, that are kids and um i think he has a brief moment where he you know reconnects with you know all, all the good in the world and escapes the tyranny of his reality for a moment and i just i thought that beat was cool so that they, and, and they, they, they may or may not have some relationship to what goes on in the oceans nearby, the land he goes to, and stuff like that. But. Well, it's very cool. I like those creatures. I, I kind of whale-like in some ways, kind of a dolphin slash whale. Yeah, yeah. And I, I've heard that dolphins rescue people who are who are stranded. I've heard they've been known to do that. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I mean, that was obviously one of the things I was thinking about. And um, I think baby beluga. Mm-hmm. You know, like I saw, I was in Chicago recently. I saw the beluga whales, and I was like, "Wow, that's just like what we." So I think baby beluga is what we were thinking about. Now, the first book was called "The City of Empty Towers," right. yeah. and, and now talk to me about how it came out. Did this come out as a volume first, or did you put them out as individual issues? The City of Empty Towers was a graphic novel that we started in 2011, and we finished it in 2014. And then from 2014 to 2016, we had to do a lot of revisions. Let let me explain something. (laughs) It it is so hard to get people who know what they're doing to come and work with you if you're at the independent level. Um, You know what I mean? Like just because you can hire someone doesn't necessarily mean they'll even do the job. So we we were – it was a very, very indie book. And um, we had to go through the the art not working – before we could get a team on board that could make it work. So we re-released the city of empty towers in, um, 2017, like October, 2017 with the, the, the version that you have. And that's the, that's the definitive version, but there have been, you know, other editions that were, uh, you know, us learning. Mm -hmm. I've got to of course ask these days, Kickstarters are real helpful to make these things happen. Did you do a Kickstarter for these? Uh, you know, we did, we did fundraise money, but we didn't do, you know, my, my issue with the Kickstarter is that I, I really believe in the fourth wall. And I, and I think that, I think that's just the theater student in me. I just think that, you know, if you're a comic book creator and you're, you're kickstartering your entire project, I, I, I also, just because it's just me, I, I don't have the ability to, you know, necessarily return everything. I mean, it would be so hard for me to mail everybody, whatever I said I owed them. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Right. So, I, I didn't really have the resources, so I, I there was money that was fundraised, but not through Kickstarter. Okay, okay, because honestly, most of the folks I talk to these days do Kickstarter. So, if you have another a method, that's great for you because you know you're not jumping on board the Kickstarter bandwagon, which I get so frustrated when some great project doesn't make it, and one that I don't particularly like does, mm. and I'm always kind of frustrated with that, but I, it's great that you're able to figure out another way to make this happen. Now, did you just solicit this through Diamond? How did you do this? Do you, you basically do cons. How do you get this out to folks who want to read it? Well, we, we do cons, and we're going to make five Nomad books, and then we're going to go through Diamond to get them all out there. Ah. So we're going to going to get the story made first and we're going to we're we, they're on like google books they're on um uh, comiXology uh, kindle uh, you can buy them through print through our website nomad.net um but when we when we do distribution i want to get all five volumes together first wow. and that way i can say to diamond look i've got five graphic novels for you and they're more motivated to do business with you 
But I, 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 right now I'm just focusing on, on getting the story together mm-hmm. and I want to make enough Nomad that like, for example, if Nomad is not popular right now because no one's into it, that's cool. We're still going to make it and maybe it gets popular later. Right. Like, right. like fire or Star Trek or something. Mm-hmm. Not that good, but you know, that's, that's the idea. Just get your story made, get your story done mm-hmm. and, and, you know, move, move forward. Because when I saw you at ECCC, you had uh, the beginnings of a second volume. Now, this time you actually have the first individual issue. Yeah. Are you doing this differently this time? Because it sounds like you did the graphic novel first, and now you're doing individual issues. What happened to make that change? Uh, Nomad, the the second book, which is going to be a a trade paperback collected, is going to get released in three volumes. And that was because um, we just wanted to get story out to people. Mm. So we decided let's just release it in three parts. And actually what's cool is that um, the the shorter, floppier books, I think, they're easier easier to make. They're easier to to carry. I think people can can read them a lot faster. Mm. And um, so it was a win-win-win. Cool. cool. And one of the things I really like about it, too, is you have the same team together, and you're following basically the same pattern as you go through this. Now, we mentioned the sun, and we see the sun in the first story, but yeah. he plays a, a more important role in the second. Yeah. I, I don't want to spoil too much, but I, what ro- role does he play in the second book compared to the first? Okay, so so the first book is the hero's journey of the father, and in 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 mythology, basically a father, Ulysses, you know, whatever they uh, they essentially go on a journey to learn destiny, insight into their destiny. Whereas the the hero journey of a younger person usually involves them leaving the tribe to collect something to bring it back. Mm. Uh, you know, that's. This so 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 the first book is the hero journey of a father, and the second book t- takes place from his son's point of view, and it is it's his life growing up with his dad gone in the volume of the first book, and then he, you know, builds a family and forges relationships, and he tries to find his own destiny in this world, and then one day his dad comes back, but his dad is now linked to this extraordinary destiny, you know, that connects him to goddesses and connects him to aliens and distant distant worlds and 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 in distant space and things like that and so the kid is completely blown away and not only that but the kid is now linked to his father in this epic in this epic journey so the kid has to go away from his tribe and join his dad in pursuit of a an adventure that he never saw coming mm-hmm. now it's called the cave of broken tombs which is, uh, you know, the first one had to do with the city. I gather we're not going to go to the, a city this time. We're actually going to go to looks like sounds like tombs, something well, they, a different location. They, the city. They do go back to the city, but oh. then they're going to have to. Um, I think we introduce the mountains beyond the city in that book, and the mountains are known as the spikes, mm-hmm. and the spikes are home to a clan of sorceresses, and the sorceresses have. Um, a, a connection to the city dwellers that were enslaved by the aliens. They've got ancient history with them, and they're they have animosity towards one another. And so, Nomad and his son are going to the city to um, battle the alien intruders. But along the way, they're going to encounter these sorceresses, and the confrontation is going to, you know, shed light into um, all of their future. Mm-hmm. What's interesting, too, is I talked a little bit about world building before, and one of the things that you've done, and I really like this, is the fact that you use certain words 
that we understand, like mom and, and uh, uh, mother and father and stuff like that. But there are other words, like I think the son, there's is a, is a different word that you use for a son. The heir? Th- sorry? They call him the heir or something like that? Yeah, yeah, that kind of a thing. And so I, I'm kind of curious. I mean, as a writer, how do you make the decision how far to go? I mean, if you if you use mother and father, which is something, of course, we can instantly relate to and yet you make a change like that on the for the son and stuff I, I i understand that you're making it something a little different than what we're used to how far do you want to go in a case like that i don't think you should go very far and if i could have gone back i might not have made those choices mm-hmm. i was at the time you know in in my cellar working on this and i was just thinking about how nomads people see the world Mm-hmm. And I figured they're going to see their world similar to how we see ours, but there's going to be differences and they're going to express their interpretation of time and space slightly different than we would. And they're going to have just a slightly different use of words than we will. And if if I could have gone back, I might not have done that as much, mm-hmm. but um, I, I don't, I don't recommend people doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, I hopefully, hopefully it works for us. I like it because, you know, for me, I can, you're not coming into something that I don't understand. You know, like spikes instead of mountains and stuff like that. I can easily understand the shift. And in some ways, I was glad that you did it because you make it a little more foreign to us. That we, we're going to... I mean, I, I, think, I think the idea that it's, it's, it's a dreamlike experience when you read these books you know like it creates a dreamlike experience as you because you know mythology is a story told like a dream that gives do and do not examples of how to experience time and space in that sense you know i mean it's like mythology is how we understand the mystery of what we are and because what we are is so complicated you have to you know, we, we, you, 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 you tell it in a way that is, is like a dream because our dreams are very complicated yet we wake up and we have a feeling that our dream gives us and we know what we need to do in this situation and, or we do not know. And then we analyze our dream. And so it's just, it's so freaking complicated being alive and we can't know everything, but we do have this mechanism of communication to tell stories like dreams in order to become better problem solvers. That explains a lot about the choice of color and stuff like that too. It's a little more dreamlike. Right. Sure. Sure. So, so, so the idea is that they, they live in kind of a dreamlike experience or they express what they see in a dreamlike way. Um, you know, and I, I think, you know, obviously that, you know, I mean, I read The Gunslinger by Stephen King. That's mm-hmm. what he's doing in that book. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but, but you know, it's it's like myths and legends and things like that, uh, you know, they're, they're not they, – they, they take liberties with, with reality. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And, and the liberties that they take shed some light into what it means to be alive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's – yeah, and that and when done right, it's awesome, and when done bad, it sucks. And mm-hmm. 
You know, I, I'm not saying that like, you know, Nomad did it great or anything like that, but that's what we were trying to do. Well, I got into it. I have to say, I really enjoyed it. I think the the completed graphic novel as well as the first issue that that, that and I, it's a lo- it's a 46 page volume. You know, so the second. I, the yeah. second one, yeah. And I really, there's a, I don't want to spoil something, but there's a huge development about uh, three quarters of the way through. Mm-hmm. And I, 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 let's just say that the son has something really bad happen yeah. in his life, and the father starts to reappear. And yeah. the father is able to resolve a situation really well i i was just you know it's one of those things where you want to applaud and cheer oh yes all right you know kind of i really love that whole business when a certain thing takes place that's important to the sun and you know and and then of course the i i I can't spoil that last page the last page just kills me there's 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 a thing in mythology where it's like and there's a thing it's basically it's like you you have to preserve the good of your civilization and the hero's job is to preserve the good of the civilization in order to you know you're going to take the good with you onto the next phase of your life but you're going to either battle or get get rid of the tyranny or get something to help you battle and get rid of the tyranny and so nomad comes to, to terrence back home and nomad helps get rid of the tyranny that's befallen his his son Mm-hmm. And that you know, you know what I mean. Like just in that very simple sense, and it's mm-hmm. like in doing so, he keeps all the good in his son's life around, mm-hmm. and um, it forges a bond between him and his son when the son has a lot of reasons not to trust or like his dad right now. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, once you make a hero, the awesome thing is then they get to do heroic stuff. And so, the thing that I was thinking is, I was like, all right. Maybe Nomad is kind of hard to relate to, especially in that first book, but just wait until he starts doing epic heroic deeds. And if we can structure these stories right, people are going to be like, wow. Mm-hmm. And so I'm glad that you got that, that from that because that was, that was set up that way intentionally. Because I, I, I was just like I wanted to cheer, like I said. I, just, I was so happy because there has been a lot of loss yeah. in parts of these stories. And you know that that's normal, but you need to have some loss so that when the, when things like this happen, it, just, it, it explodes off the page. And that was kind of what that did for me. It just was like, I was so happy because I just thought, you know, because this, this, the poor son has been through a lot, to be honest. Yes. And to see him actually see something go his way, shall we say, was really, I, I really enjoyed that. I thought that was so good. But, but I think that's one of the things about this, your, your books is that the characters are very vibrant and they, they literally breathe to me. I know these people, you know, as I get to do them. And, and it's just a, a wonderful thing, the way that you've constructed this world with all kinds of things going on and all kinds of people and different different aspects of it that I, I'm just gripped by. I'm just kind of fascinated to see what you guys are going to do next, which leads me to my next question. If somebody wants to get a hold of Nomad, how do they do that? You, you've talked about it's available digitally. Are there in, I saw you at a convention where I was able to get the paper copies. What's the best ways to do that? Uh, until we go through distribution, just uh, go on Amazon and just buy a paperback copy from me. And uh, you'll get it in, you know, 48 hours. 
Okay. So just, just yeah, just Amazon. Um, and then we keep our books in an Amazon warehouse, and they send them right out. Oh, cool. Yeah, and I and I I I I highly recommend people doing that because I like I said I think that the first book takes some time to get into it does and it's it but but I think when we get to the end of it like you described I think there's a really cool revelation that makes you forge an emotional bond to the characters that makes you want to know more about them Mm -hmm. and then I think when you get to the second story because it takes place from the point of view of a young person that makes it more relatable to more people Mm -hmm. and what our young character goes through and how his father swoops in to lend a helping hand, Mm -hmm. I will make you forge an even closer bond with those characters. And I'm going to tell you in that book, they go on one heck of an adventure together. There's, there are things that are going to happen that are going to hopefully blow people's mind. Cool. We already blew my mind several times in the other books. So I, I I can't imagine what you got in store for us, which I want to do. Uh, let, you've got a website. It's nomadd.net. That's us. And, yeah. And are you on Facebook and other social media? I am. Yeah, I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook, and I could use more Twitter followers. I, I don't really use the tweet, the Twitter, for much except, um, um, you know, uh, sharing art. And uh, I, I try to stay off of social media because I think there's. Well, I mean, I love social media, but I I try to not engage, you know to get things too inflamed or heated or things <laughs> like that. So I, I try to just use it to share art. Yeah, well, you, what, what you want to do is, is promote the comic. You don't want to, because there are some people I know who get out there and let's just say they spend hours and hours and hours on social media not talking about the comic and uh, the, the, the stuff that they do. Well, that's what I really want to hear from people. I want to know what it is you're doing, and I want to be able to, to keep up with that good stuff. Yeah. Yeah, isn't it interesting how much um, the comic book community and the entertainment community in general uses social media to talk about everything except what's awesome about the stuff that they make? Yeah. You know, I mean, I mean that, that that's the thing I've learned from like just working with like Tom Orzechowski is it's like, why doesn't everybody go to Comic Con and look for the letters? You know what I mean? Or or it's like why why isn't there an enormous section at Comic Con about the maybe there are panels that do this I don't know, but I mean it's. Like, are that the industry desperately needs to remind people how freaking awesome it is mm-hmm. and not how terrible and depressing and tyrannical the world can be. Yep. And I understand you know what I mean. It's mm-hmm. like, <laughs> like yep. heroes set the world right. That's what they do. If they're done well, it gives and you, they give we, you hope. Yeah. They give you hope. Right. And it would be good to, you know, just, I don't know. To me, that's the spirit of it all, yep. you know? Yep. Yep. Which is great stuff. Uh, of course, now i got to ask, now that I've read the, the first volume of the three, when mm-hmm. is volume two going to show up, might we know? Uh, okay. so, so volume two shows up uh, in July or August, and I'll mail you a copy of it. Ooh. And, and then, and yeah, so to stay in touch through, through Facebook, social media, or Hotmail, and mm-hmm. then um, we'll, we'll conclude the trilogy hopefully like in October or December, but we'll have everything ready for, for 2019. And then um, there's a, a Nomad's third adventure is being worked on as we speak. Wow. Then there's a fourth adventure, which is kind of a prequel, and it's going to take place from the point of view of a young heroine. And then there's going to be a fifth book, and the fifth book is sort of um, 
the epic finale of everything. So we've got five Nomad books, and I've got an arc, and I know where I want the character to go. Very cool. Very cool. I, I'm looking forward to it because I, I, the great thing is you're going to have the third volume out before the holidays, which is a yep. perfect timing. I mean, you couldn't time that a lot better unless you had the trade out. You know, the collected version out that would be nice to have. But on the other hand, uh, I don't mind having the individual issues because I, I want to be able to read it. That's, I'm one of those guys that uh, I'm not much into collecting. I am much more into reading and enjoying the story. And that's your what your book has done for me is taken me into a place I haven't been before. And I'm enjoying the story so much because it, it is something unusual that I haven't read before. And after decades of reading, whenever I can find that, I really just cherish it. Yeah. So it's terrific. Well, if you are starting off and you want to ever tell a story, try to tell a story that is personal to you, that you're qualified to tell, and, um, and, and, and by qualified, I mean, you have some biogeographic experience with the content and, um, and then, and then try to, try to show somebody something they've never seen before, but like stick to your brand. You know what I mean? Like your brand is everything. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, I think, and I always say this to people, I say like, you know, you, your brand is the most important thing that you have as a storyteller. It's how people identify you on the competitive market. So even if your brand isn't that great, it's better to have a brand out there that people know who you are because that puts you in a position to level up every year with that brand. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And it's, so the name of the game is to get your brand, work it, and don't worry about making a bunch of money on it because if you structure things too carefully to make a ton of cash, it, it will probably fall flat. Yeah. Right? You yeah. know, unless you're, unless you're already really well established. Yeah. And then, then just, um, you know, just, just tell your story from your heart and, but, but don't let go of your story yeah. and don't let someone come in and say, Hey, wouldn't it be great if this character was a, uh, you know, an astronaut from Detroit. I mean, I think if someone had come to James O'Carr and been like, yo man, I love the crow. The crow is so great. But have you ever thought about making it, you know, about a vampire Academy and, uh, you know what I mean? It's mm -hmm. like, what? James Obar have done in that situation. Mm. You would have destroyed his soul, destroyed his story, mm. and we would have never had this this epic masterpiece that's withstood the test of time. See, one of the things about your book I know is I can tell you know where you're going. Yeah. A good writer knows where they're going, and we when we read that, we can tell that you know where you're going. And that's why we can trust you and go along with the story and read and enjoy it. Because I honestly, there are some books I read and I just I'm, I don't think they know where they're going, and I'm pretty convinced I don't know where we're going. Well, you know, I got a lot of help. I got a lot of help with story with a, a company called Scenario that's down in Los Angeles, California. And it's run by a gentleman who is a uh, – he packages story for major motion pictures. And so j j just a little bit of backstory behind that. Um, when you create something, you're put what, – what you're doing – is you're putting yourself in a position to get in the room to make it stronger, mm -hmm. right? You know what I'm saying? Like, not making it to be perfect. You're making it to put yourself in a position to have the network where you can go a little bit, a bit higher with it. Mm -hmm. So when I met the gentleman who runs this company and he reached out to me and said, you know, uh, I would love to give you some information about some ways that you can structure your ideas that will, and it's story structure. That's what it is, right? It's, it's, it's the fundamental principles of story structure, right. which if you stick to too rigidly, I think you can mess your story up, but if you know what they are and you can play with them, you can make your story stronger. And so he came in and he really, really spent several years 
helping me understand myself, my story a little bit better. And so like um, what you're saying about being able to feel that the writer has some idea to know where they're going, that was just because I got some help by some people who are really smart. <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, you know, the, the thing of it is, though, they're helping you tell your story, though. You still had your story. Exactly. As far as I'm exactly. convinced. But, yeah. you know, as I would just say, they helped you bring that and you, you made it better. Which yeah. is, you can always make things a little better and you can always make things a little stronger. And I got that sense when I read the, the these books is that it's just a strong storytelling going, I don't know where you're going, but I know I want to read it. So I'm looking forward to this in the future. Well, are you guys going to be able to do um, a, a written review of the work at all? I, I'm going to try to do that. I'm way behind on my review writings. I, 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 I've, of course, I've been going to, as I was, like, I was out in Seattle, we're going to a lot of different conventions. I'm going to go to Washington, D.C. I'm going to go to Dallas and stuff, and I can barely do my the work and stuff. But I'm going to try to get a review written about cool. it so I can get it out there. Because oh, I, I just when I find something really good, I really want to make sure people know about it. And so, that, like with your book, I think we should do that. Now, I do have one more question I want to ask. You were at, at Emerald City. Are yeah. there other appearances you're going to do that people oh, yeah. can come and see you? Oh, yeah. Uh, come find us at WonderCon this weekend in Anaheim. We fly out tomorrow, uh, booth 1223. And then we'll be at Chicago, C2E2, um, at booth 708. And then we'll do uh, Rose City, Baltimore, New York City, and Stanley's Kamikaze to end the year. Wow, so I'm going to probably bump into you a couple more times. Please do. I'm going to go to Baltimore and all those good kind of things. Well, Drew, you're doing just wonderful stuff, and I let your team know, too, that the, everybody is just making this book really sparkle. And so, to me, I just can't wait to see what you're going to do next, which is, you know, not many comics do that to me, but yours does. Thank you very much. I really appreciate that. People need dramatic examples to shake them out of apathy, and I can't do that as Bruce Wayne. As a man, I'm flesh and blood. I can be ignored. I can be destroyed, but as a symbol. Get the latest from the comics universe. News, interviews, previews, and reviews. Listen to the weekly Wayne's Comics Podcast so you can keep reading your comics. That's a wrap for this episode. Be sure to be back next week when I'll have another interview with a great comics creator. But until then, keep reading your comics.